Wow, wasn't that worship incredible? I said, wow. Oh, it's normal. This is just normal. Okay. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, no, this is just right. Thank you. Wow. So I've, uh, I bring my love and greetings from Jubilee Church in Solihull, who will say hi to you. And also from Alison, my beautiful wife here. So we're just so glad to be with you today. Um, and the prayers of Jubilee Church Solihull followed me here. So that's good, isn't it? Um, I've been asked to talk about the big apostolic purpose of the church in 30 minutes. So, um, <clears throat> so that's basically what I'm going for. What's the church for? What's it all about? Or something like that. <clears throat> Which means I'm going to be talking about one of my great passions because I love the church. I love the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the apostles laid down their lives for the church. <laughs> they all did, except for perhaps John, as far as we know, and we're called to do the same. Now, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? I gave up my job to serve the church full-time. That's not quite the same thing, although it does feel like laying down my life sometimes, <laughs> every now and again. But it isn't quite the same thing, except that I have given myself to serve the church for many years now. So much time and energy, so much prayer, so much thinking, so many sleepless nights, because it's all about the church for me. It's all about what God's doing in the church. I love the church. I do. I love the church. Does that shock you? <laughs> do you love the church? I love the church. I love the church globally, locally. Uh, it's such a privilege to be part of what God's doing in the world today. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the church is amazing. I don't just mean open-door church. Of course, you are amazing. But the universal church is a truly amazing phenomenon. There's nothing else like it on the earth. It's incredibly diverse. It runs through all time, all nations. It crosses every boundary. I mean, take a look at the church for a moment. It's not like any other human organization. <clears throat> We're part of a community of believers that began thousands of years ago. And every believer that went before us is still part of us. That's what Hebrews says. We're, part, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. I mean, what a mystery is that? And then there's the sheer size of the church. Did you know that in 2022, there are around 2.5 billion Christians in the world? Come on. That's just over a third of the world's population. And 2.7 million people become Christians every year. Now, that's the population of Australia every year. Come on. Because despite what the media says, the church is growing faster now than at any other time in history, except especially in the global south. In the continent of Africa, 
Anybody from Africa? In the continent of Africa in 2021, there are reckoned to be in excess of 685 million Christians. Come on. Just over 100 years ago, there were about 10 million Christians. So that's a lot, isn't it? That's remarkable. It's a similar story in South America, India, the East. The church is growing and people are being saved at an incredible rate. Although, sadly, the same can't, can't be said for churches in the global north at this time. You know, in, in the UK, in America, in Europe, there's evidence that the church is declining. According to one piece of research, uh, the number of churches open and being used for worship in the UK has fallen from around 42,000 to 39,800 in the last 10 years. That's 2,200 churches closed. Some of them needed to be. Don't get me wrong. But it's still 2,200 churches closed. In America, a study has been found that Christians accounted for about 90% of the population 50 years ago. But as of 2020, that's fallen to about 64%. So we need a move of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We need a move of God. And the Holy Spirit is working across the world at the moment because more people are becoming Christians now than at any other time in history. But take a look at the church. God is still building His church. Look what He's doing across the world. Take comfort from that. Take faith from that. Take it to your prayer meeting next week. God, what you're doing over there, do here. God is faithful and His church is amazing. Which is why it comes as a bit of a surprise to me that it takes Paul so long to mention the church in the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to turn to the book of Ephesians, that's where I want to read from today. Now normally when Paul writes a letter, he addresses the church, he mentions the church, it's part of his greeting. But in a book of Ephesians, he waits until verse 22 before he even mentions the church for the first time. That's an awful lot of stuff that he has covered before he gets to verse 22. He takes a while to get to his point. And that could make you think, well, perhaps Paul doesn't think that the church is very important. Well, actually, it's the opposite. Because verse 22 is a climactic moment. <laughs> for the apostle. The first part of the chapter is all about this great salvation that we have found in Christ, forgiven, sealed, secured by the Holy Spirit. We are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done. And, there's, and then it's this great prayer of Paul in verse 15 because he starts asking the Spirit to give us revelation into all that he's just said because it's mind-blowing stuff and we need supernatural revelation to even begin to understand what Jesus has done for us. Amen? If you don't get it, that's okay. You're not expected to. You need supernatural revelation. And it's not until near the end of the chapter, which is the highest peak of this amazing outpouring of praise, revelation, and prayer, that Paul finally mentions the church. So what's the first thing that he has to say about the church? What is the apostolic emphasis that Paul gives above everything else when it comes to the church? 
Well, the answer is in fact obvious. So obvious that you might think it doesn't need to be said. You might even wonder why Paul bothers saying it when there are so many other more practical things he could say about the church. But while it might seem obvious, it needs to be said first. Why? Because it's so easy to assume it. You're wondering what on earth I'm going to say now, aren't you? The tension is building. Yet without it, nothing else about the church makes sense. So let's read it. Verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. The first thing that Paul has to say about the church is him, Christ. Christ. And it should also, he should also be the first thing that comes to our mind when we mention the church, Jesus. The price he paid, the supreme place he's been given, the authority he has, and, 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 and now underline that verse for you, for the church, because it's all for the church. The power, the authority, the position, the sacrifice for the church. It was and always ever will be for the church, about the church. The church is his body. He is the head of that body, which means that Christ and the church are inextricably linked. They are deeply and profoundly connected. They are interdependent of one another. I mean, what kind of wonder is that? Because the head and the body have to stay connected, otherwise what happens? The body dies. And so connected, Paul says, he fills it. He lives in and through the body, the church, through his spirit. Which means you can't say that you love Christ if you don't also love the church. <laughs> because the two are part of the same thing. So please, take another look at the church with me and fall in love with her all over again. But it starts with Christ. And I want to focus mostly on him because of three things. Firstly, Christ is head over everything. Secondly, Christ is head over everything for the church. And thirdly, the church is also for Christ. It exists for him. So it's all about the church, but it's firstly that Christ is head over everything. Verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him Christ to be head over everything. And, and Paul's very clear about the everything that Christ is over. It's literally everything. <laughs> Jesus is in a realm of supremacy that is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's verse 21. And this is not just true when it was written around 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. And this message extends through all time over everything. 
And there's no power or authority anywhere at any time that will not ultimately be compelled to bow the knee to Jesus and acknowledge that He is Lord. There is no tongue that will not confess it because Jesus has been given a name that is above every other name so that He reigns indisputably and is forever supreme. Amen? And so Paul is very clear about the everything. He's also very clear about how it happened. God did it. God did it with the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, verse 20. God did it. He raised Jesus to this place of ultimate power and reign, and only God could do it. God raised Jesus from the dead in such a public display of authority because death could not hold him. (laughs) Only God could raise Jesus to his right hand in such a defining way, and the devil could do nothing to stop him. God did it. Only God, with the energy of the might of his strength, a literal rendering of that mighty strength verse, can bring us safely into the glory of the final inheritance that is ours in Christ. In other words, all that Paul has said about our new identity in Christ in the first part of the chapter, God also did for us. He secures it for us too. God did it. Only God could do all of this, and Paul is very clear about why God did this. For the church. He did it for the church. And the impact of this mighty demonstration of power goes far beyond our personal salvation and the joy of sins forgiven. It's about everything. It influences everything. God's unopposable will ricocheting through the universe affects everything for the church because that's what he's head over everything for, for the church. Christ is head over everything for the church. That's the second point. Verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church. Are you following this? That's the whole point. Who Christ is, what he came to do, and what he will continue to do, it's all for the church. Christ is for the church. Do you have any idea how significant the church is to God? Not only to us, but for the future of everything. And I think this is part of the problem, that we we struggle to fully understand and appreciate the supremacy of Christ, let alone his universal intentions for the church and our part in it. Prepare to have your minds blown, because the implications are extraordinary. So again, Paul writes later on in Ephesians about Jesus, who ascended higher than all the heavens. Why? to fill the whole universe, Ephesians 4.10. That's Christ. That kind of makes sense to us because, well, he's God, and filling the universe is kind of his thing. 
But then Paul goes on to explain our part in it also as the church. God's full intention is that we all grow up to be mature, the so-called work of the Ephesians 4 ministries, in order to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13. In other words, where he goes, we go. (laughs) Where he grows, we grow. His fullness is also our fullness. Now, that's some scale. That's some influence. It's like our job description just got a whole lot bigger, didn't it? We've got to fill the whole universe now. That's God's intention for the church. Let me read you some words of this uh, scholar, Peter O'Brien. He wrote this. He says, Having achieved dominion over all the powers through his victorious ascent, he sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of his body. The building of the body is inextricably linked with his intention of filling the universe with his rule, since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purposes for the cosmos. I thought it was just going to church on Sunday. No. I mean, do we have a big enough view of the church? Do we understand, even begin to comprehend God's plan for the church? It's about the rule and reign of God extending everywhere, over everything through the church. You see, Paul isn't just talking about our personal salvation here, but our corporate, for want of a better word, impact of the people of God universally throughout all generations in his ever-expanding kingdom, filling the cosmos for his supreme purposes throughout all time. How about that as a mission statement, open open door? I can't even repeat it. It's so amazing. Expanding throughout all time, through all generations. It's not just about you. Not just about me. Not just about which church we go to. It's God's ultimate sovereign plan to fill the cosmos with his glory. Come on, get excited, people. (laughs) That's a pretty big vision, isn't it? That's the scale of it. And it means that whether we understand it or not, what we do here matters. Can I just say that again? What we do here matters. Church matters. And what we do here doesn't just stay in here. Have you worked that out yet? It's got to go out. It goes out with our mission But it always goes out. It goes out not to just affect our lives, our communities, the world in which we live. Guys, it's got cosmic significance. How big is your view of the church? Wow. He's coming back for a beautiful bride. Not a straggling, trying to get there by the skin of our teeth. Dear me. Let's take a breath, eh? It's just awesome. In Ephesians 1.10, Paul has already told us that God's great plan is to sum up all things in Christ. 
God's bringing everything in the universe to the point of honoring and serving Christ. That's what it's all about. Can I just uh, bring to your attention at this point that Paul doesn't say that God gave Christ for us as individuals at this point, but that God gave Christ for the church. And that word church, I've given you the long definition, but it means a gathering of people who will call on His name throughout all time. The promise is to them. Anybody in the church here? Any church people here? Come on, this is for you. This is for us. This is who we are. We are the church. Amen? Paul says it like this because it's not just that God has given Christ to each of us individually. He has so that we can each be strengthened by ourselves. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful to have sins forgiven and to have our lives transformed in that way? But He's given Christ to us together. God has gathered us together. And that idea of being gathered together really matters. This really matters because of what Paul goes on to say next, that the church is for Christ. Verse 22, 23, God placed all things under His feet, appointed Him head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. It's not only that God placed Christ over everything for the church. That's amazing. But the church is is everything for Christ too. Everything. We are His body, Christ's fullness, who fills everything in every way. And we've already looked at the everything. But He also fills His body. His body. Who's His body? Us. The church is now the dwelling place of God on earth. That's the church. That's you. Me. Oh, come on. I'm used to more people shouting back at me. No, surely not. Yes. In the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle that was carried on the shoulders of the priests and went from place to place. Now in the New Testament, it is a body of the church. His Spirit inhabits the body and gives life to the body in just the same way as our spirits inhabit our human bodies and makes us what we are, alive. Anybody alive here? Jesus is not only the head that directs the body, He lives in us by the Holy Spirit. This is why His presence is so tangible when we meet. He comes amongst us as we worship. He walks amongst us as we pray. When we call on Him, He responds. He answers and directs our prayers and He speaks to us. The gathered people of God, which is the church, is 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 His dwelling place on earth. (gasps) Did you know that when you came today? You're not just coming to the meeting a bit late, some of you, I notice, but I'm not looking at anybody. 
We're coming into the very house of God, His dwelling place, when we gather. Ephesians 2.22, and in Him you too are being built together, people, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Wow. And because of this, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I firmly believe that the church is meant to be a taste of heaven. I do. I mean, if God really lives here, when people encounter the church, they should encounter God and all that's in heaven. Because what is in heaven is mediated to earth through the church. How about you? What do you think? I mean, it shouldn't surprise us when we hear of people encountering angels in our meetings. Huh? Do you know, we had this elderly couple uh, join our church a few years ago. And they were from a very proper background, High Church of England. And so we were amazed that they came in the first place, but we were just the nearest church to them. But when they came in, to the worship, they were impacted beyond words. And after they'd been with us for a few weeks, uh, the gentleman said to me, can I talk to you, Pastor? I said, of course. He said, I, I, I don't understand something. I need you to help me understand. He says, I'm a musician. I know about music. He said, but I can't tell where the choir is. I've looked around and Every week there's a choir and, and they're singing quadraphonic harmonies. And they sound amazing, but I don't know who they are, where they are. Can you please introduce me to the choir master? I said, oh, well, that'll be the angels. <laughs> Come on. When we worship the king, they join us. Oh. It shouldn't surprise us because they're in heaven. It shouldn't surprise us when people experience joy in His presence, when the Bible says that in His presence is fullness of joy. It shouldn't surprise us, church, when people are healed because God's presence is here. We've seen this so many times that people have been healed just coming into the church. A little while ago, a lady... Uh, I, I love, God seems to get people from more traditional churches when they come to our church. It's quite fun. You kind of wonder what's going to happen. But she hadn't experienced words of knowledge before. And there was a word of knowledge about somebody who had a problem with, couldn't bend their finger, trigger finger, I think it's called. And uh, so this word of knowledge was brought, and then we explained, well, what we're going to do is somebody's brought word of knowledge. So that means God wants to heal somebody. So we're just going to pray that God heals them now. We prayed, and this lady spoke to me after to say it was really nice. I was standing there at the back, on the back row. Somebody, two people, she said, came and stood behind me, put their hands on me. And how did they know that I was ill? Because I never said. But it was really lovely. And as they prayed for me, I felt warmth go through my body, and I was instantly healed, which was amazing. But she said, but I turned around, and there was nobody there. It shouldn't surprise us. Somebody else, we had a worship evening, and somebody who'd had uh, 
sinus problem. She was about to have an operation. Five or six years, completely blocked sinuses. As she walked into worship, she arrived late. So there is blessing for some that come late. Um, as she walked into worship, her sinuses instantly cleared. She was a new believer. Come on. Come on, church. We should expect these things. Why? Because it's the dwelling place of God. We should expect that as we come into the church, we encounter Him. I firmly believe that unbelievers should be able to come into our churches saying that He doesn't exist and go out saying, God definitely exists. I fell down on my face and said, surely God is amongst you. The secrets of my heart were revealed. We should expect these things, that people feel overwhelmed with peace and love as they come amongst us, the people of God. Because these are all parts of heaven that can be experienced on earth, here, through us, through the people of God, who are the church. The church must be the place of God's imminent presence and power. We are the household of God. We are His dwelling place on earth, who also fills the universe. Amen. Anyone getting excited yet? See, the problem is, I think we can become too familiar with all of this. Sometimes it's that we don't have sufficient reverence for the church, and so we come in as critics to evaluate a service. Consumers of what the church puts on that we can take or leave rather than discerning the body of Christ. Amen? Anybody convicted? <laughs> we all do this. Or we can become dulled to the presence of God as we come together and we don't even bother to engage with Him. We kind of go through the motions, we sing a song or two, we listen to people pray, might even contribute by saying the odd amen, brother. Sit down, endure the sermon, wondering how long it will be until dinner. And what's for dinner anyway? These things are true for all of us, and we can all be in danger of becoming over-familiar, even despising the church, neglecting His glory. We can come with no expectation of meeting with the God who lives and walks amongst His people and go home completely unchanged. How is that possible? How? Sorry, I just got a bit excited then. But, but you know, I believe that God wants us to come together with expectation of encounter that we kind of walk into our meetings on tiptoes, wondering what's going to happen. That's what I believe. Huh. That we come hungry and thirsty for Him. I can't wait to hear the preacher. What's he going to say today? I'm so hungry. We can come with no expectation with meeting with God. Or we can come with faith and expectation that as we gather, God comes and there's a sense of awe saying, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? God's here. <sighs> Guys, His presence was here in the worship. I'm telling you, 
The Spirit of God was here, His presence. There was encounter going on here this morning. God's here. He's here in this church. I was so excited to be here today and worship with you. And there's that Jericho wall power here. It's here. When you guys shout, strongholds are trembling all around this area. Strongholds are trembling for mental illness. I really saw that. Strongholds are trembling as you guys learn to shout, as you praise. Because there's power here, because God's here. What's going to happen next? And there will be signs that he's with us. <laughs> what are they? People will be healed. People are going to get healed here in this church. People are going to get healed here in this church. Spirit, body, mind, soul, all of it. It's going to get healed here. Lives are going to get changed here. Is that how you see it? Is that your expectation? There's no condemnation in what I'm saying. This is a challenge for us. Yeah, come on, God. That's what it should be. More people should be healed when they come. Because you're here. Come on, God. Why aren't it? Why isn't it? You're here, Lord. Anything's possible. If the God of the impossible is here, if his presence is tangible, anything can happen. And I wanted to say earlier on, but I'm a visitor and I'm trying to be polite. But I wanted to say when we shouted, check your body, because I think some people just got healed today. Check your body. Check your mind. Check your thinking. Anything that you shouted out for, you check it. Because God's here. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Whoa. Let me tell you that the pandemic and not being able to meet together has given me a whole new expectation of what can happen as we gather. Not gathering has made me appreciate so much our gathering together. You know, it staggers me that some people's response to the pandemic is, huh, I don't need to go to church anymore. I can just stay at home and be a pajama Christian. I don't get it because the gathering of the church is so powerful. I... Amen. I just can't wait to be together. I can't wait to gather because I don't know what's going to happen because the Spirit of God is going to break out. And you know there's a moving of the Spirit going on at the moment in our nation. God's moving. God is moving amongst us. So, what's your vision of the church? Is it like God's? What's your expectation as you gather together? What's your commitment level? Are you committed to this? Are you going to lay down your life even for this? Because the, the church is amazing. The church is amazing. It's God's body. 
and Christ is head over everything. Here's the apostolic vision. He's head over everything for the church. The church is for Christ, which is his body, the dwelling place of God here on earth. And lots of people are talking about a reset for church. Well, here it is. Get a bigger vision. (laughs) Get a bigger vision of what God is doing through the church. I just want to pray for you. Would you just stand? I think we're running into five minutes we've got. Yeah? Um, I'm going to pray something which you don't... I'd like you to say amen to, but you don't have to, because I'm serious. Because I think we need to repent. So if you want to say amen to this, that would be... Okay, there's somebody at the back who's already saying, yes, I need to go for it. I think I need to repent of my attitude to the church. Amen? Lord, we've had too small a vision. Forgive us. Forgive our small view of your church, Jesus. Father, forgive any consumer mentality that we may have had and help us to get plugged into your vision. We repent of any critical or negative thoughts towards the church or our leaders. Oh, Lord. God, forgive us. Give us a renewed heart for the church here. A fresh love for the church, Jesus. And our Holy Spirit, come and dwell in this place and use us for your glory. Amen.